Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Tuesday. It is January 2nd. We are talking about the Green Bay Packers having one of the brightest futures in the NFL. We're also going to talk about Golden Kegs, the best and worst from the Green Bay Packers game against the Minnesota Vikings. We're also going to discuss the Marquette Golden Eagles and their win against Creighton. We're going to talk about the box uneven sort of New Year's weekend. They lose to Indiana at home. They beat Cleveland. We'll discuss that and why they have a bench problem. And then lastly, I want to touch on the bowl season a little bit. Uh, we I don't know if we'll talk too much about the Badgers. I did watch a lot of that game, so I, I might have a, I have a few thoughts here and there. Uh, but it's more about the macro, you know, bull conversation that's been being had. And I want to want to add my two cents because I, I think that there's a way to do this. Um, I just think that there's a lot of things that need to get figured out. And I don't think we're going to figure out bull season for a while. And I'll, I'll get into that at the end of today's show. But before I get going, just a reminder, social media, Tabby the Keg on Twitter, Tabby the Keg Sports, Instagram, as well as TikTok and Facebook for that matter. Uh, we've really seen a lot of great success uh, with posting their TikTok-like videos to uh, Twitter, and uh, the engagement has been great on those. Um, hopefully, you know, try to do one a day um, is the goal here. Uh, now, does that get hard? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's not exactly easy uh, when you have a day job. Uh, if I didn't, I'd be producing a lot more content. I think I've mentioned to you guys that I would love to clip my podcast more often, and if someone that would want to help, uh, the door is open. Uh, and I would, we could talk about payment, the whole thing, uh, but I, I do not have the time. Anyways, uh, but yeah, we'll have another video out today. Hopefully, I think about Jordan Love and not, and not being an MVP candidate, So I, which I'll talk about on the podcast too, but if you're not a podcast listener or to get more people involved, that's how we get them there. Uh, so if you're coming in from that, welcome. We do a show four days a week. Uh, we will have a show every day this week. Uh, Mitch and I, uh, my co-host for Tabbing the Keg, a weekly podcast, we will be doing that on Wednesday night into Thursday. We're going to recap Bucks Pacers um, and then talk, get ready for Packers Bears, of course, and who knows what else uh, we can be talking about. So that will be uh, this week's shows. Uh, and hopefully you'll be rocking with us. I'll also be at Lambo, so that'll be fun. And we can talk about that a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, uh, Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast. Hopefully you're spreading the good word of Tabby the Keg uh, this weekend, whether it was at a party, whether it was at the Marquette game, or anywhere else. So let's get into it and talk about why the Green Bay Packers have one of the brightest futures in the National Football League. The Green Bay Packers were on prime time again to face the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, the Packers are 1-0 in Sunday night football games before heading into that one against Minnesota. You can ask how much shock should you put into that? Who knows, right? But the Green Bay Packers came out pretty fearless, and I was really impressed with that. I was worried that this young team would be tight. I worried that they would be sort of wound up, that the, the moment could potentially get too big for them. And... Maybe if Kirk Cousins was on the other side, this would have been a different type of ballgame. But the Minnesota Vikings, in an act of desperation, went with Jaron Hall. And that did not work. And they folded like a cheap suit. And they folded early. And the Green Bay Packers were able to pulverize them in the first half with a 23-3 lead. One of the largest leads for the Green Bay Packers against the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota. It was... Such a satisfying victory to lay the hammer down on East Dakota in Minnesota in prime time 
just ruining everybody's New Year's in the great state of Minnesota was absolutely glorious. And I couldn't love it more. Uh, it, it's one of the best Packer Vikings victories in my lifetime, honestly. Uh, the one when we got Brad Childers fired and beat Brett Favre's ass, that's probably always going to be number one. Uh, but this one was way up there. And to have this victory, and also the Favre one in Lambeau where Corliss, or I think it was Corliss, who, was it Corliss? Corliss made the catch to win it, but then there was a guy for the Vikings that it, it went off his like fingertips, and it would have, would have, I forget who the Vikings guy was, but that game, talk about your heart beating your asshole for that one. But anyways, this was a very satisfying win, and when I come away from this game, I take the take away that the Green Bay Packers' future is as bright as any team in the NFL. Yes, the Packers might make the playoffs. The Packers also could not make the playoffs. But at the end of the day, even if they do not make the playoffs, the future is still bright. And I don't know how anybody can look at a, a team not named the Packers as having a brighter future. It's been just incredible to kind of watch the development of really everybody on this team. Jordan Love is obviously the one that stands out the most, right? Because of just the performance week in and week out and the Packers having yet another NFL elite quarterback. My mom was saying how she's not unsure about Jordan Love and she's a fan of the 60s. And I said, mom, I think he's gonna be a top five quarterback in the next five years. Like, I think he's gonna win an MVP. I think it's all right there for him. And Jordan Love, 24 for 33, 256. 7.8 yards on average for his catch and three touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, Jordan Love has only thrown one interception in the last seven games. Jordan Love has thrown 16 touchdown passes in the last seven games. He had a quarterback rating of 123, 25. Remember, this was the same Minnesota Vikings team that was absolutely in his kitchen the entire game in Lambeau Field. And Brian Flores really frustrated him and blitzed the living hell out of it. And Jordan Love seemed underprepared. He seemed like he was not ready. That was a, probably one of the lower points in terms of the Jordan Love roller coaster. And now it is sky high. And I don't even know if it's a roller coaster. I think everybody feels good about Jordan Love. I don't think anyone's saying we need to go with the Brian Brown model and draft a quarterback in the second round. No, we know that Jordan Love is the guy. And it's, it's very clear. And it just continues to be even more clear every week. And to have that, to know you have a franchise quarterback, is the, it's the key to success in the NFL. And the Packers have that. And they have that with Jordan Love. And Matt LaFleur and Brian Gunacoust and Tom Clements and Adam Senevich all deserve a ton of fucking credit for what they've done with Jordan Love because it's been a joy to watch the Packers quarterback. And it just he just continues to improve. And in a weird way, I, I don't think he's getting the credit that maybe he deserves in the national landscape. I think because he's kind of a quiet, mild-mannered dude, I don't think that there is as much attention being paid to Jordan Love, even though the Packers have had multiple primetime games here in the last, I don't know, five to six weeks. I just think the focus has been on, you know, the Chiefs struggling, the Eagles struggling, the Cowboys, you know, kind of being this uneven team, the Niners, the the Ravens. Like, there's a ton of storylines in the NFL. So this isn't like, uh, hey, no one respects Jordan Love. It's more of like, 
I don't think people understand. Like, if you actually looked under the hood, you would see a Hemi engine and a guy that's ready to go for any team in the NFL. And any team right now in the NFL would be thrilled to have Jordan Love. I'm not saying he's better than like a Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen. You know what I mean? But I, I'm saying if Jordan Love was your quarterback, you would feel fucking good about that. And that's exactly what, what the Packers have. And But it's not just Jordan Love. It's not just Jordan Love that makes this future look bright, right? If you take this game alone, you have Jaden Reed, who had yet another incredible game. Uh, he did get hurt, so it, it capped what the performance could have been for Jaden Reed. But he had eight cat or six catches for 89 yards, two touchdowns. He had an amazing touchdown run uh, to, to basically kind of put this one on ice. You know, the Packers at that point were up 16 to three. It looked like, you know, things were kind of heading in that direction. But the 26 yard catch and run uh, with eight seconds left to go in the first half was sort of the death sentence for the Minnesota Vikings. That was the, it, you don't want to use the dagger in the first half. You got to be careful with that. But that really, that really felt like the dagger for the Green Bay Packers. And they were able to put the Vikings away. And it, it was just a, a great, you know, catch after after the pass from, from Jordan Love. And Jaden Reed looks like wide receiver one. And I, I didn't know if he could be that. I feel like because he's more of a quote-unquote slot guy, it's hard to think of slot guys as number one receivers. The one that obviously you think about is Tyreek Hill, right? And I, and I don't want to compare Jaden Reed to Tyreek Hill. I did see someone say, yeah, there's a little Tyreek Hill in him. I, I don't want to go that far. I think that's a little intense. But that does show you that a, a slot can be a wide receiver one. It is possible. It has been done before. One of the best teams in the NFL has that right now. And so Jaden Reed can be that guy. He should get some mention for Offensive Rookie of the Year. I, I, he obviously will not probably get it, uh, but he he definitely should get some mention, you know, in terms of the Offensive Rookie of the Year. CJ Stroud is a shoo-in. But Jaden Reed should be a top three candidate, in my opinion. Uh, he's had just an incredible rookie season. And, you know, the Packers, you know, trusted their research. And they deserve a ton of credit because that was not a good Michigan State offense. Yet, Jaden Reed stood up and they saw it. And they saw the talent that was there. Similarly to Florida State, who saw it with Keon Coleman, who is talented, you know, even at Michigan State. But, you know, they, you know those two guys are going to be top tier players in the NFL. And then you also, like, it doesn't just stop there. You have Bo Melton, right? This guy, practice squad guy from Rutgers, was on Seattle's team for a bit. You elevate him again, and he has a, the first 100-yard game of anybody on the Green Bay Packers roster, considering all the good wide receiver performances, all the excitement that we've had about Reed, about Christian Watson for a bit, about Romeo Dobbs, about... Uh, Dontavian Wicks, it's Bo fucking Melton. That's the guy that has the first 100-yard receiving game. And Bo Melton looks the part. The last two games, I've been very impressed with Bo Melton. And the Packers wide receiver room runs so deep. It's crazy. I, you know, watching Washington, Texas, I'm like, I, I don't know. I mean, we, can we trade one so we can get one of the Husky receivers? Because I'd probably be into that too. Uh, it's just an embarrassment of riches right now for the Green Bay Packers. And that's part of the, how do you have one of the brightest futures? How do you have a future where you're like, okay, yeah, you're set up for success. It's like, okay, you have 
you have Jaden Reed and Bo Melton and Wicks and Watson and Dobbs. And like, that's like a murderer's row of skill players. And oh, by the way, Tucker Craft becomes, you know, one of the best players, you know, one of the best sort of turnaround seasons. And we had all told you like, hey, yeah, there's a chance that Tucker Craft could be really special here if it, you know, all comes together. And now they have a two tight end system that could be the best since we've seen since Aaron Hernandez and, Gr- and Rob Gronkowski. I know that that, that, get, that makes people kind of cringe because of the, all the murders and stuff, but you gotta remember Hernandez and Gronkowski were the best tight end combination that the NFL had seen for a while. And that's what the Packers have. What team right now has this much young talent in their skill position that have shown already that they are good. That's not just, okay, they went to Alabama or they went to Texas or they went to Michigan. Like, no, these guys are ready to go right now. The Green Bay Packers, no matter what happens uh, against the Chicago Bears and what happens in the playoffs, the Green Bay Packers should be a top five Super Bowl contender next year. The odds for the Green Bay Packers next year should be around like plus 1600 to win the Super Bowl. I, I think anything higher would be a disrespect because that's how that's how good this team could be next year. And there's also veterans that are still here like Aaron Jones and that still, you know, have a place. And I think Aaron Jones should be a Packer for life. Just all of the stuff we've seen from Aaron Jones and that he is the heartbeat of this team and a true leader. There's no reason that you should get rid of that, right? And David Bakhtiari has a chance to come back next year. And I think he will because of the contract. I do not think he's going to the Jets. I I will put my flag on that right now. And he can be sort of that leader. And I think he, he will relish in that opportunity. I think, you know, everyone loves a comeback story. Maybe Jair Alexander can be that too. And there are veterans here. Now, do I think they need a couple more? Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I really do. I, I think that it would benefit Green Bay to have a couple more veterans. I think that would really help, you know, what they have in terms of their in terms of their offense and defense. And I think that that would help blend the two together because there are times where the immaturity shows up. We've seen an undisciplined Packer team in the past, although credit to them, they did not have a lot of penalties in this game. This is the first really penalty-free football game that we've seen from Green Bay. And the other guy that deserves mention is Zach Tom, right? Zach Tom's another young guy that is showing out every fucking week. And then big plays from Carrington Valentine and others. This team is full of young talent. And that's what makes it so exciting for the future. This year is still exciting, right? They have a chance to make the playoffs in a rebuilding year. That's pretty remarkable. That's stuff that you don't exactly get. When you're in a rebuilding year in any sport, you expect to be, you know, drafting in the top 10 and you expect to not even sniff the playoffs. Yet the Green Bay Packers are not only sniffing the playoffs, as many have said, if they get in, there is a chance that they could make some noise. Now, they have an obvious defensive problem and we know it exists, but that's that's there. And yes, Jordan Love is playing like an MVP candidate. Now, do I think he's an MVP? No. Jordan Love's lost 20 games, all right? Like that team wins have to matter. And those losses aren't really on Joe Barry. There are ones that are on Joe Barry. Definitely the Tampa Bay game. I would say the Giants one is a joint loss for everybody. But the Raiders one was on Jordan Love in the offense. The Falcons one was on Jordan Love in the offense. 
The what's the other one? Um, the Denver Bronco one was on our offense. Same with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, the offense lost some games for them this year, and I don't know if that's the case with Baltimore, with San Francisco. The numbers are impressive, and I think the numbers are worth paying attention. And that's why you could look as Green, at Green Bay as a sneaks as a stealth. What am I trying to say? A stealth. There we go. <laughs> I, I got it. Stealth uh, contender for the NFC well, NFC because it's wide fucking open, right? And we saw the Cincinnati Bengals, a young team find their way into the Super Bowl. And it was just based on the talent they had. So yeah, it's possible. I mean, but am I expecting it? No, not at all. I mean, we Joe Barry is still our defensive coordinator, right? So, but the future is really bright. And that's why defensive coordinators are going to be knocking down the door to coach this team. I think you'll have players that want to be a part of this team. I think everybody sees that the Packers are the next great team in the NFL and they can return to glory and it's not going to be in five years, 10 years. It's going to be in two to three years and maybe a special run even this year. But as Matt LaFleur said in the locker room after their win against the Minnesota Vikings, it doesn't mean shit. They were the win he was talking about. doesn't mean shit if we don't take care of business next week. And that's exactly what needs to happen and reverse what happened last year. So we'll certainly see, but... Regardless of all of that, the future is very bright for the Green Bay Packers. Let's move on to Golden Kegs. Golden Kegs is something that we do every after every Packer game. We talk about the best and worst things about the Green Bay Packers, going from five kegs to one keg. It is how we've done it for a long time. Uh, so if you're new to the program, that's kind of what we do after every game. Uh, five being the best, one being the worst, and we can do multiple and I'm trying to think what would be a good, I did this last week where I talked about a beer that I liked, kind of to get a you know, little more infusion. Uh, I, I will say the funniest beer interaction I've had this weekend is I brought a barley wine uh, to the New Year's Eve party I was at. A few people tried it and they were offended that I was just drinking a 14% beer. Uh, bar, it's not even a beer, it's technically a barley wine. And look, look, like, yeah, does it put a little hair on your nuts? For sure. Is it bad? No. You do have to sip it? Yes. Did I did that amplify my evening and my review? Yeah, for sure. But yeah, no, the 1840 again with Packer games. That has been the good luck charm this year. We'll continue to ride it. I won't have that ability at Lambeau, of course. Uh, so I'll have to bring some 1840s up for the weekend just for the good vibes. Uh, so if Pat's listening to this, he knows he's going to get a little 1840 care package, which I know he he loves to hear. All right, let's talk about the Golden Kegs. So five kegs. I have a lot of five kegs because this, again, it was an ass kicking. You could argue it was the most complete win for the Green Bay Packers start to finish. Uh, but my five keg, I'll kick it off with Aaron Jones. Uh, Aaron Jones, first Packer running back to have back-to-back 120-yard games since Amon Green did it in 2013. Uh, so that's been a long time. Uh, it's been, or 2003, excuse me. Amon I'm, I'm Green has been around for a long ass time. So it's been a very long time since we've had seen a Packer running back go back to back with 120 yard games. Uh, 20 carries, average six on the ground. Uh, he, it was just a steady, consistent stream of Aaron Jones. Uh, and he's just been a, a total X factor the last two weeks. Uh, you know, I think what's better about this one against against Minnesota versus Carolina 
is Minnesota has a pretty good run defense. Like their run defense EPA is pretty good. Uh, I think it's in the top 10. And Aaron Jones completely shredded it. And, you know, maybe that was the effect of not having DJ Wampum out there. And that was part of the issue. Uh, but it was just Aaron Jones was a- able to find holes all day long uh, and make life easier on Jordan Love. And you just see how different this Packers offense is with Aaron Jones there. If Aaron Jones is healthy the entire year, I, I really think that this Packer team probably has three or four more wins. Uh, they're right there with the Detroit Lions for the division, but you know, that's coulda, woulda, should. That's part of the NFL. It's really part of any sport is injuries. And so, but a really good game from Aaron Jones uh, as he continues to stack them up to end this season. Uh, also five keg to Bo Melton. We talked a little bit about it, but just kind of out of nowhere, Kid from Rutgers, uh, Tazim Waid, uh, Christian Watson's dad called Bo Melton one of the best deep, deep threats the Packers had. We sort of laughed about it in group chats. Well, uh, Tazim knew, knows ball there because Bo Melton uh, went off uh, six catches, over 100 yards for Bo. Anyway, a lot of you don't know Bo uh, things in the group chats. Six for 105 for Bo. He had a long of 37. Uh, really good Good stuff there, and you just wonder, yeah, is that that's this is now another guy for the Green Bay Packers to utilize? And even if they get healthy and you have Watson and Wicks back, I I don't think that Bo Melton should just not get snaps. Like I think Bo Melton's a guy that you could put out there, and if he's uh you know he's a burner like you know Tazim says he is running you know verts with Watson and Melton and making defenses choose. All right, which guy am I gonna take? Could be just an absolute fun house for Jordan Love. So yeah, Bo Melton, great, great stuff from him. Uh, speaking of Jordan Love, Jordan Love also five keg. Uh, it just continues to play great football. We talked about it in our open, but you know, 16 touchdowns in his last seven games, only one interception during that time. Uh, he's been just on a complete heater. Uh, he's outperformed. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre through 16 games, uh, which matters a ton. Uh, Jordan Love could set the, he, I think there's a, a passing record he could set. I think, oh, to beat Rodgers, he'd have to go 190 yards uh, next year. Now, granted, he gets the extra game, but it, it, you ha, you cannot you know dispute that Love has had the most successful year out of the three guys. It took Rodgers and Favre both a extra year to make the playoffs and they weren't I think Favre might have had a chance in that final week but you know they the year after was sort of their entry point in uh but it looks like Love has potential to kick the door down in year number one Corey Ballantyne and Carrington Valentine were great on the outside uh Ballantyne and Valentine held Jordan Addison and Justin Jefferson to absolutely nothing everybody freaking out that oh, Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison or, you know, Jair Alexander's suspension, it's going to be this big issue. It was not. Jefferson had five catches for 59 yards. Uh, Addison had three for 28. Uh, They were just complete non-factors in this football game and was just a, a really, really strong effort from both guys. And this, to me, should be a wake-up call for Jair Alexander. Uh, you know, I this it's more about serious topics, not necessarily you know football related stuff. But like sometimes you need to like hit rock bottom before you're making changes. This should be rock bottom for Jair Alexander, a seventh round pick and an undrafted guy put the clamps on two of the best wide receivers in football, and you're not there. And they basically said we don't need you. 
Like that was a double, that was a middle double finger to Jair Alexander. I know the team likes him, right? Like I, I know they support him, whatever. But that was a double bird to Jair Alexander. And that should be a entire wake up call for him. That the, if you're not going to change after that, I don't know what, I don't know what's there. So hopefully there's a spirited effort for Jair against the Chicago Bears. Um, I'll be curious too, though, to see kind of what they do in terms of their starting lineup. Do you go with Valentine over Valentine? You know, who gets that second corner spot? I also think that you, there, and we can talk about this more as we get into kind of uh, Sunday's game. And I know Keyshawn Nixon had a decent game as well, but do you put Jair as your slot corner and let those two guys on the outside and let Jair sort of be like a DJ more shadow? And I, I know Jair hasn't been that good, this year, but a DJ Moore matchup is kind of exactly the player you want Jair against. Like he, that he kind of fits the mold. So then do you have the other guys sort of flanked on the outside? I'll be curious to see what they do because I, I think there's a real case to have Nixon off the field, even though Nixon, again, as we said, played one of his better performances of the year. He didn't get, he doesn't get mentioned in the kegs, but deserves, deserves a little bit of credit. Uh, also the Packers pass rush was Unbelievable! They unleashed on Jaron Hall. They finally smelled red meat. Uh, they had 14 quarterback hits in this game. They had four sacks. Uh, they were all over Jaron Hall and then Nick Mullins. Uh, it was ugly for both of those guys. Uh, they were they were just basically in hell pressure wise all game long. And I, I this is what we saw against Detroit and we saw against Kansas City and then we didn't see against Tommy DeVito. We didn't see it against Baker Mayfield. We didn't see it against Bryce Young. And that's exactly what we should have been seeing. And I know that's frustrating for people. You're like, where the fuck has this been all year? I get it. I totally understand that. But I think what you're seeing is you're seeing the Matt LaFleur influence with Joe Barry. And I think that that at least has started to take shape. And I think we couldn't, you know, you said it last week before Carolina was like, oh yeah, I'm going to help out the defense. And I think Matt, you know, probably needed an extra week to be like, all right, what do I need to help with? And I think, you know, the convert, and we will never know, but I have to think some of it is like, Joe, this is a great defense against great quarterbacks. This is not a good defense against the Jaron Halls of the world. You can set the house. We have very talented athletic guys. Like you need to be bringing the fucking heat. And he did that. And the players responded. They said they felt like this is a great game plan. I know Quay Walker complimented it. I think someone else did too, make Ken Clark. So I, yeah, I, I definitely think there was the LaFleur influence. Zach Tom was great. Uh, another five kegger. Uh, he held Daniil Hunter to absolutely nothing. Daniil Hunter was a ghost. Uh, for all that we know, you know, he was part of the Christmas Carol. Like he might've been a Marley brother for, for all we know, because he was nowhere to be found. Uh, Zach Tom put it on lock. He's been a great right tackle this season. I think Zach Tom deserves to be an all pro. I don't know if it'll be first team, but I would certainly consider Zach Tom a second team all pro, a pro bowler. He deserves it. Um, and I don't think he's got enough credit from the Packer fan base of the season he's had. Uh, but he's been our reliable man. I, I called him the first half MVP last year, earlier this year. I think from a, like an overall keg grading for the year, I feel like Zach Tom's one of the few five kegs. Just there's only, a, and Hunter was the only guy he struggled with. Remember early, uh, against Minnesota, that was probably his worst game early and he bounced back too and made the, the necessary adjustments. Uh, also, Jaden Reed, we talked about him earlier in our, so we don't need to go on that, but another five kegger there for Jaden Reed. Four kegs, uh, Tucker Craft, you know, a consistent day for him. He had six catches 
for 48 yards. Uh, you know, look, I, it's not a great average, but you need that release valve. Tucker Craft, again, continues to stack up those performances. I mean, it's been just an incredible second half for Tucker Craft. And, you know, he kind of talked about, oh, I kicked myself, you know, how I looked earlier this season. But looking at Tucker Craft now since the Kansas City game, he's he had three catches, four catches, four catches, four catches, six catches. He's had over at least 20 yards, or at least he's been over 50 yards in the last, well, it was 48 against Minnesota, but we can round up, like near 50 yards the last three weeks. He was 37 against Kansas City. I mean, he's just, he's playing really fucking well right now. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully that continues. And Musgrave may be back next week. I mean, that's, if you want to like the the thing to not be scared about the Bears next week, and I do think there's a, a tinge of scariness and we'll, we'll talk about it later this week, but you're, you could get Watson, Wicks, Musgrave back. On top of all the things that are going right, you get Jair back. Uh, maybe Campbell comes back. We'll see. But yeah, continued good performances from Tucker Craft. Uh, four kegs also to Preston Smith. Uh, Pete continues to come on strong. Uh, he had a, another nice game. Uh, was one of, I think, Pro Football Focus's best defensive player uh, from the game. He's been having a really good finish to the year. Uh, Smith finished. He only had one tackle, and but he hit the quarterback three times. He did force a fumble uh, that was recovered by Carl Brooks. Uh, really a solid day uh, for Preston Smith. And, you know, the old guy still got a little something left in him. Uh, I don't know, you know, Preston's long for the team, just given all the edge rushers that the Green Bay Packers have. But, you know, you continue to need those veterans, man. And he got a little banged up at the end, but I, I think he's okay. I hope he's okay. He's really barely missed any time. As an NFL player, one of the most durable players in the NFL, uh, kind of an underrated skill for Preston, uh, but it's been a joy to watch him kind of come on strong here in the last few weeks. Maybe it's just, you know, we're figuring out how to use him differently, uh, working with different guys, but it's, yeah, it's been good stuff for uh, Preston Smith. Uh, three kegs were Sean Gary. Uh, I know there's some criti criticism about Gary. Uh, the numbers don't really show it, but he had eight pressures. Uh, he was in the quarterback's face really the entire game uh yeah he didn't get home but i think you know putting that consistent pressure on whether it's jaron hall whether it's nick mullins you know that that's what you want to see um and i know it hasn't necessarily been the best finish uh forward sean gary's season i do wonder you know is that just again you're coming off that acl injury you know you didn't play a full year of football last year you know is this just a lot for you who knows right so uh, I still have been encouraged by Gary's season. I still think the contract is worth it. I don't think the Green Bay Packers are going to regret that deal. Um, but yeah, it's good. It's good to see that you know Rashawn was involved, but maybe not you know entirely in the stat sheet. Another three keg to not using Quay Walker as an athlete. They kind of unleashed Quay Walker. He had a sack in this game. Uh, he was kind of you know being used more as a pass rusher. I think letting Quay Walker just roam the fucking field and sending him on more blitzes, I think would be a good thing for this Packers defense. I think they have a ton of athletes and they need to start using them like athletes. And not having Quay Walker basically being that guy has been frustrating to say the least. Uh, two kegs that Kingsley and Gambare. I just haven't really seen it with Gambare this year. I feel like Lucas Van Ness has outplayed him uh, down the stretch. I didn't look at snap counts to see if Van Ness has more snaps, but he certainly should. Uh, at this point, uh, Ingebar is just, to me, 
is it, you know, he's just kind of, he's there. He's a rotational guy, but I, I don't think he's making as much of an impact as he could. Uh, Darnell Savage, you know, kind of just had a Darnell Savage game. You know, they, they, he just, their middle of the field was still open, you know, far too often. And, you know, that's a cause of just having pretty poor safeties. And I'm looking forward to today that Darnell Savage isn't in a Packer uniform. Uh, number one is Samari Torrey taking, one keg Samari Torrey taking back punts. Not sure why that happened. I know Jaden Reed was hurt. I don't understand why Keyshawn Nixon wouldn't do it. I uh, opened the door slightly for the Minnesota Vikings and the Grand Packers shut it down uh, with the touchdown of their own. But yeah, that was uh, that was something else. Uh, I, don't, I never see that again. Now Torrey has a knee injury, quote unquote, and he goes on injured reserve uh, to make way for Bo Melton and then getting hurt on touchdowns. Uh, Jaden Reed got hurt on touchdown. Don Traven Wicks last week got hurt on touchdown. Uh, not not good stuff at all. Also, one keg to uh, the Vikings, you know, throwing punches after the game. Uh, Booth Jr., I don't even know who it's first name, uh, threw a punch, I think, at Don Traven Wicks, and then Aaron Jones got caught. Uh, there was a little scuffle, little little bit of a fracas uh, between the two. That's good. Rivalries are good. They, they should matter. Uh, but, yeah, overall, it was just a great fucking win for the Green Bay Packers. And it's pretty ironic that they started the year beating Minnesota's ass, you know, at home. And then they end the year beating Minnesota's ass in Minnesota. Uh, yes, there was a loss in between there against the Vikings. But let's hope that next week is a little different than last year. Moving on to Marquette. Marquette beat Creighton, uh, 78 to, 72 to 67 uh, on Saturday in front of a solid crowd at the Pfizer Forum. Uh, Marquette, to me, showed something, that they can win ugly, that they don't have to necessarily win with all the flash, with, you know, in terms of scoring 80 or 90 points. You know, Marquette took Creighton down to the mud, and they came out victorious. And We've seen those games, you know, kind of go either way from our cuts so far this year, right? Saw them lose a game like that to Wisconsin. We saw a game like that, you know, against UCLA where they were able to win. And the Providence game, I think, was physical, but I wouldn't exactly say it was in the mud. And I think that Marquette learning how to win differently is going to be a key to success. I think that you're not always going to get to play the way you want. And I think it's imperative for the Golden Eagles to figure out, you know, okay, our shots aren't falling. What do we do? We got to really tighten up on defense. Marquette was three of 20 from three in the first half. And it was ugly. Like I, they could have easily got run out of that gym. Like they're, I, mean, I was there. I, I think we all were nervous that, you know, maybe this was going to be a blowout, which we have not seen, you know, Marquette lose at the Pfizer Forum since January 1st, 2022 against Creighton, conveniently enough, in a game they shouldn't have lost because Shock Smart didn't follow on a three. Uh, and Alex O'Connell uh, hit a buzzer beater uh, to send that to double overtime. And, but regardless of all that, like, they could have easily gotten blown out of this. If Creighton, you know, they, the door was there and it was open for Creighton to just absolutely run ramshot and they did not take advantage of it because the Marquette defense was great. I mean, they have not been necessarily known for their defense in the Big East play. You know, that was a bugaboo last season. They were not, you know, the defensive team that they've shown to be this season. Uh, right now, Marquette rakes eighth in Ken Palm, 92 over 100 in terms of their net rating. 
Uh, that's really fucking good. And they're also draining the clock on teams. So as fast as Marquette plays on the offensive end, right now they are the 13th fastest team in terms of their possession length. They grind you out. And Creighton did not want to get into that. Creighton was deep in the shot clock so often. Uh, I was watching with my guy, John, and we were talking about how like, okay, they're all of a sudden we're like, oh my God, there's 10 seconds left of the shot clock. And I think they forced three shot clock violations on Creighton in the game in general. Uh, but yeah, they want to grind it out. And Creighton, you know, just has no part of that. For reference, Marquette had a 43 best defense in 2023. Then in 2022, it was 55. 2021, which was Steve Wojciechowski, was 83, 73. I'm trying to think, when did they, have they ever been high? Like, I'm, lo I'm looking through it to see if there's anything that comes close in terms of comparison. Even the Buzz Williams team that went to the Elite Eight, they were 45th in defense in terms of, of net rating, so or not net rating, defensive rating. Maybe the Buzz Williams team in 12 was 14th. So that's the highest that Marquette has got, the one that, that lost to Florida in the Sweet 16. That's the highest Marquette has got in terms of in terms of defense. And so that, that's kind of where they're – that was 12 years ago. So this is sort of shows you where, where Marquette is in terms of their prowess defensively. And they really showed it off against Creighton. And because they played so, so well defensively in the first half, they were able to, you know, make it happen in the second half. And also, too – they did not play into Creighton's style. And I think that's the other impressive thing about this victory is Creighton wants you to go into the paint. Creighton wants you to you know, shoot shots into the paint and then Mount Callbrenner, you have to go around him. And they, they allow the most you know, two-point baskets in any, in any team in the NCAA. And they allow some of the fewest three-point shots. Marquette put up 31 three-pointers. And even at some point, we were kind of in the stands like, what, should, we, should we get a couple more mid-range shots? They, there was a crazy number. I'm going to pull it from Paint Touches that had it because it was, it was a nut stat that Paint, Paint Touches provided. Let me find it here. It, I have a lot of stuff, obviously, uh, available. Um, okay, what did, where is it here? Oh, I might have, I may not have, I might not have actually kept it, uh, which is a bummer. Uh, I should have because they had an awesome stat about, you know, like basically they got a ton of open threes that just doesn't happen against Creighton. And that it just shows you like Marquette is, you know, not afraid to sort of, you know, go across, across the ground. Okay. Yeah, here you go. Um, Per synergy, uh, Marquette took 24 unguarded spot-up threes. That's the most the most Creighton had given up in a season was nine. 24 is tied for the most the Jays have allowed in a game since 2020. So that was very interesting. You know, Creighton begged Marquette to shoot some of their you know players like Sean Jones and Stevie Mitchell, even also Yadara shot a three. And look, as they started to go in, and once they went in in the second half, that was the key to Marquette's victory. And they, they get it done and get a very big win. They're now seventh in the country, uh, and they are, you know, get a week off here before playing Seton Hall. But before we, we get done with Marquette, we obviously have to give grades. We do this after most Marquette games. I wouldn't say we do it after every Marquette game. We try. 
Uh, and we go from A to F on these, a little different than the Golden Kegs. Uh, and if you're for those wondering, just a little behind the scenes sausage made, I just don't want to do Golden Kegs for everything. I, I Golden Kegs are for Packers. I do the grades for Marquette. I've, I've thought about different stuff for the Bucks, and I haven't done it. I, I've toyed around with a hundred different ideas uh, for the Bucks, but it just nothing has come to fruition. If you have ideas, you can send them in. Tapping the Keg on Twitter, Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram or TikTok. Uh, but yeah, A, Sean Jones. Uh, look, Sean Jones, 15 points. Uh, career. I would assume it's a career high for Sean Jones. Uh, he was excellent in this game. Uh, he made three threes. The step back three was really life altering. <laughs> Honestly, in back to back threes. Uh, hitting that shot was just an out of body experience. Uh, but really impressive stuff from Sean Jones. Yeah, that is his high. He had 11 against Georgia Tech uh, last November, but that is his career high with 11 points. Uh, and yeah, really special night uh, for Sean Jones. I love seeing the celebration that Sean Jones's mom had with his aunts and his sisters. And it just was an awesome, and cousins, like it was just a great environment. Just shows you all the love and support that he has. And look, if Sean Jones can, you know, do this off the bench for Marquette in, you know, a third, you know, 10 to 20 minute increment and be sort of that six man for Marquette this season. That, that is a huge boost to the Golden Eagles. And I, I don't think you should expect to make it three threes a game, you know, shot 14% before this game. But I, I think he's a guy that can give you, you know, anywhere from seven to 10 points. And if, if he's doing that regularly, Marquette's going to win a lot of basketball games. And that's definitely something they need. And maybe sometimes it's not Chase Ross. Maybe it has to be Sean Jones. I think we all thought Chase Ross was going to be that guy, but it could it could end up being Sean Jones. Another A to Oso Iguodaro's rebounding. He had 15 uh, rebounds in this game. Uh, Oso was, or 16, excuse me. He was an absolute glass monster. He had nine offensive rebounds. He had seven defensive rebounds. A career high for him in terms of rebounding. Marquette had in total 18 offensive rebounds. They dominated the glass against Creighton, which is very unexpected. And again, these are like, you're seeing now another Marquette as the biggest bugaboo, offensive rebounds. They figured out a way to use Oso as a guy who could eat the glass. And yeah, he struggled from the field. It was not a great shooting day for Oso Iguodara, but he was absolute monster on the glass and created more opportunities for the Golden Eagles. And again, this, this game should really scare a lot of people because you have the defense of angle that we talked about earlier, fact they were pulling down rebounds like where and the fact that they get another score in Sean Jones like this is all like worst nightmare shit because this is stuff that oh you can poke holes on why Marquette maybe is overrated and they basically quashed all of that with a lot of this different stuff uh we already talked about the defense but defense has to get an A uh also an A uh Shaka making Creighton fans mad I did a social video on this see it on all the channels Tabby the Keg on Twitter Tabby the Keg Sports Instagram and TikTok but it's just so funny how Creighton fans just have just this sick obsession with Shock Smart. A lot of people do. I, I can't believe how charged up people get about Shock Smart. I don't, I don't really understand it. Um, 
yes, the guy provides a lot of energy. He has a ton of excitement. I saw someone call him the basketball version of P.J. Flack, which isn't farther from the truth. P.J. Flack's a snake oil salesman. Shaka Smart is not a snake oil salesman. I couldn't engage with that because I have a buddy who, who works for P.J. Flack. Uh, so I, was, I had to keep that off the, off the bird. Uh, but yeah, it, he, look, I, I don't think that's what Shaka is. And Shaka, you know, it makes a lot of people upset, but you wish he was your coach. You just do. And I, you can act like you don't, but you, you wish Shaka was coaching your college team because your team would be better. Your team would be, you know, a hungry ass basketball team. And I just, I love what Shaka has brought to Marquette. And I love how mad he makes people. And I just hope this, it's Creighton Marquette rivalry is a real thing. And it's, it's right up there with UConn. And, and, and I think my guy, Dan Mach said it, like, that's good. Like we need more of them. And I, I think that I, I can't agree more. And I hope that the Big East sees this. And as you're scheduling into the future, like these games are always on Saturday. It was kind of rough that this was on, you know, a holiday weekend. I think Rob Doster pointed that out. Um, and that could probably get an F, honestly, in terms of the schedule, because I don't think you saw the best version of Marquette. I don't think you saw the best version of Creighton. I think if this game is played next week or the week after, I think this is a little bit different. I'm not saying Marquette would lose. I'm not saying Creighton would win. But I, what I'm saying is it, I think it's just it's a different environment. And these two will meet again because of the Ron Robin schedule. You'll have Creighton against Marquette on not till Saturday. So they did do actually pretty, pretty good by us. Saturday, March 2nd. Uh, so it'll be a while until you get that Marquette Creighton matchup, but that will that will not be for a long time. And that'll be a one that's a one thirty start on Saturday. So that's leaning towards like a Fox. That's usually that second Fox window. Uh, so you probably will see Marquette and Creighton again as a prime time or not a prime time, but a you know really premier matchup in terms of the college basketball slate. So yeah. Uh, other do I have any other A's? Uh, no, that was the A's. B's Dave Joplin. So Dave Joplin only had 10 points, but he had 10 points in basically the last five minutes of this game. Shock uh, Smart noticed that they were going zone and that Sean Jones had been playing a lot because he obviously was on a heater. He brings in David Joplin immediately and David Joplin just starts raining threes. Uh, he had two threes made. He had this huge dunk where he daps up Jay Crowder. He does a fist, he does a, like a chest bump, forgets to get back on defense, but it was just, it was fucking awesome. Like the David Joplin last five minutes to close this out was excellent. And if you have David Joplin again as a closer, that it, another element added to Marquette. And it was it was great to see that Dave Joplin, even though he really didn't have a lot of shots go up this game, that he could basically come in cold and make those shots. That's something we haven't seen from Dave Joplin. Usually Dave Joplin has to start hot for him to have a successful offensive appearance. And it, that wasn't the case. Um, he also grabbed six rebounds. Uh, Dave Joplin's rebounding is, is kind of becoming a thing. He also was pretty solid defensively. Um, and that, that's not usually his for, forte. He's not known as a great defender, but it, it was good in this game. He really really looked looked the part defensively. So I, I, I gotta give him a lot of credit there as well. Uh, but yeah, this rebounding thing kind of is a thing now. So he had nine against Georgetown. He has six against against Creighton. You know, that. so that's what, do the math there, that's 15. In the four games prior, David Joplin had eight, let's see, 11, 12. And then, oh, we could extrapolate it to Wisconsin. So in the last five, before Creighton and Georgetown, 
David Joplin, you know, had equal amount. It's I think it's 16. Like that's that's crazy. So he's now they've just taught taught him like, hey, you got to rebound more. Like we need you to rebound more, and he's doing it. So credit to Jop. Uh, other B to Tyler Kolick, uh, another terrific game for him. He took home the Kempom MVP, uh, which I would honestly give to Sean Jones, but maybe because of the lack of minutes. But Kolick, 36 minutes, 15 points. Uh, he made, what, 5 of 13 from the field. So not, not exactly great, but five free throws made. All five were made. Clutch ones at the end to preserve it. Also had eight assists and three steals. Uh, so good stuff from Kolick all around. He hounded Stephen Ashworth, uh, which, I mean, they really uh, – the, the problem with Creighton right now is they do not have a point guard. Uh, Ashworth is not the guy, uh, nor is Farabello. Farabello really isn't even a point guard. Uh, Trey Alexander has the ball way too much in his hands. Um, Mason Miller, I, he had, he is such a good release. And Mason Miller should be touching the ball so much more often. And I, I feel like if he, you know, shot the, like four of Bailey Shireman's three threes um, or 13 threes, it might be a different story. But yeah, back to Kolek, like it was just a all-around great effort for him, you know, on both sides of the ball and just continues to obviously be the leader, getting those big buckets when they matter. Uh, he had one, you know, late where it gets the end one and the finish. And that was that was really solid stuff for Marquette and helped, you know, sort of turn the tide because, you know, for a while there it was like, okay, they get to be tied or they'd get, you know, be down one and then Creighton would hit a three. And then, you know, I, I mean, that's why you have one of the best point guards in basketball because you, or college basketball, you just you have that composure, that guy who can kind of just keep everybody on a steady pace. Um, the other B to the Fiserv crowd, it was a weird crowd because it's a winter break, right? I feel like a lot of it was a little older crowd. Um, my guy KBO Rocks was telling me that it was a little white hair down down below, and um, you know I thought they got loud when it mattered. I thought it was a spirited crowd. I think that they were into this game, uh, especially in the second half. I think it's hard when you you're three of twenty from three. That really that really you know struggles in terms of you know getting the energy. That's a great way to take the juice out. But second half crowd was great. Uh, so yeah, credit to them. Uh, we talked a lot about that three-point shooting, but yeah, that's a C. Um, it's a perfect C, right? Three for 20 in the first half, six for 11 in the second half. That's like, you you know, your first 10, 10 uh, questions, you completely bomb, but then the last 10, you finish strong. So I, I got to give Marquette credit for sticking with the plan because I was pretty much like, hey, maybe a little more mid-range from them. And they were like, nope, we're going to keep shooting. And they were they were right to do it. Uh, D to Cam Jones, it was a... Cam Jones is kind of going through a little bit of a slump. I, I you know, it, it's a little bit of a law of large averages, right? Like he started off so hot and maybe, you know, the book got out a little bit on what you need to do against Cam Jones. I, it, this is his third straight game, fourth straight game with an offensive rating under hundred uh, after just being on a complete heater. Uh, he missed seven threes in this game. He did make two of them, uh, only 12 points overall, but yeah, rough. 12 points on, what was that, 14 shots? Yeah, that's that's not, you're not usually going to like that. Only getting the line once. I feel like when Cam Jones, is, and he missed it, when Cam Jones is real good, it's like he's taking those tough shots inside the lane. I think I would like to see a little more balance from Cam Jones. You know, that Purdue game where he had 17, he was 6 of 11 from the inside and 1 of 2 from the outside. I think that's when you really get the good version of Cam Jones. Or the Wisconsin game where he had 19. Four or five from inside the arc, three or seven from outside the arc, 
three free throw attempts. To me, that's like that's a Cam Jones stat line I want to see more often. So, you know, he's in a little bit of a slump, shooting slump for sure. Uh, in those last three games, he has, let's see here, let's do that math. He is four of 22 uh, from three. Ooh, that is, that is not good. Uh, so hopefully, you know, he can turn it around. You know, week off here. You know, maybe you know, maybe he just needs to play more games like back to back. They've had a lot of lot of time off here recently, so maybe that's part of it. But yeah, it's uh, definitely definitely wonder if you know what what the issue is. I'm not I'm not exactly quote unquote freaking out though uh, about Cam Jones, and don't think it's a larger problem. Uh, see, I f I guess the CBS broadcast was terrible. Uh, I wasn't there, but my dad was like. Yeah, it was a really, really rough broadcast. Uh, it was very pixelated and stuff. So I don't know if anybody else had the issue, but giving the F for my father, also Ben Gold. Uh, man, this is a game where you'd hope Ben Gold would have had a little more of a presence with Callbrenner inside, and he did nothing. He did not, I think he got one rebound. Like, you just got to be stronger. And so, you know, I, I think with Benny, it's like one step forward, two steps back where you're seeing the production in those, you know, I wouldn't say meaningless, but against those lesser teams, you're just not seeing it yet against great teams. And so I hope it comes. Uh, but yeah, it was a rough one for Ben Gold. So we'll see how Marquette does next week against Seton Hall uh, on the road again. Uh, you know, the Golden Eagles have struggled in these true road game environments. And it's not easy in the Big East. And we'll certainly see what happens when they go to South Orange, New Jersey. All right, let's move on to the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks... Uh, have had have a bench issue. Uh, it's been it's been an issue for a while, uh, but it continues to fester. It continues to kind of sit there like a stale fart. Uh, the Milwaukee bench struggled tonight. Uh, no one scored in double digits uh, for the Bucks in their loss to the Indiana Pacers. Uh, in fact, the bench had a grand total of 15 points, and then from there or 16, excuse me, and the Indiana bench had a grand total of 70. Getting outscored 70 to 16 on your bench is pathetic. Um, this bench continues to struggle. Bobby Portis is having a probably one of his worst stretches as a Milwaukee Buck. Pat Conton looks washed up. Campaign just looks like a nuisance every time he's out, out on the court. Andre Jackson Jr. is kind of backslid a little bit. Marjan Bochamp is battled, was battling a sickness. I don't know if he's hungover, but he, went, he didn't play uh, tonight. And that's kind of where we're at right now with the Bucks bench. AJ Green, you know, sometimes plays, sometimes doesn't. And they they just need to sort of figure out what they're doing on this bench. And I know Jay Crowder, hopefully it's coming back soon. You know, he's right around that timeline. So hopefully we'll get Jay Crowder back and maybe that will stabilize some things. But they have a real bench issue right now. And they, you know, I think we'll have a really tough call on what they do about it because Bob Portis and Pat Connaughton are very important to the team chemistry. Um, I, spoiler alert, we're going to talk more about this later this week, so I don't want to step on a topic that I have sort of locked and loaded for Mitch and I, but it, you do ask yourself that question of like, where, you know, where does it, where do we go from here, right? With these guys, because it, it's just, it, you have to, you have to sort of, you know, figure out where, where this, where the end game is for this bench and how do you, how do you help this bench? And I know Damian Lillard wants to play 12, you know, the first quarter and then doesn't really want to play in the second quarter. And I know that's what Damian Lillard has done for his career. And I know that's what he's most comfortable doing. 
But I, I think there has to be a conversation with him about, like, can we try some different things? Can you try to play like eight minutes and then we bring you back in earlier in the second quarter? Can you try to play a little more in the third quarter, a little less in the first quarter? Because like tonight, uh, you know, one of the, you know, and he was bad tonight too. Like, I don't want to excuse Dame, but, and Giannis is also, like, you can't play everybody for the entire minutes. Like you need that complete roster. And so when you don't have that complete roster, you're going to have games like this where you struggle because, you know, Giannis was the only one really doing it. Like Chris was okay. Brooke was okay. But you had no support off that bench. And when Indiana's getting it from four or five different fucking guys, it really sort of sticks out like a sore thumb. And they have basically, you know, a month plus before the trade deadline. Now the Bucks could make a deal prior to that. I think, you know, January 15th is in the next big day in terms of the NBA calendar. So they have two more weeks here where, you know, you can see what you have. You do play Boston and Golden State upcoming next week. So that could be a good, you know, barometer, good test to be like, all right, is this bench really as bad as it's looked? Or is that, is it just, you know, they're going through, you know, whether it's Griffin's rotations, whether it's, you know, the offense, whether it's, you know, not wanting to be too selfish, whatever it may be, you know, maybe is it something else? Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough to watch, obviously, just given, you know, what Pat and Bobby have meant to this Bucks organization. It just, it doesn't necessarily look like it fits right now. And that's, I, I think, on Adrian Griffin to figure out and how do you adjust that? How do you make those changes? You know, you play Indiana on Wednesday, and I know that's not a lot of prep time, right? But you have to probably adjust and you probably have to play the, the starters more against the bench guys. And you have to sort of use, you know, guys interchangeably and use Andre Jackson against TJ McConnell and pick up six fouls, who gives a fuck, right? Or Bochamp if you get him back from, an in, from these illness. So like, yeah, it, it's definitely a long look in the mirror for that bench. I'm not ready to say that that's the reason that's gonna prevent the Bucks from winning the championship because A, you get Jay Crowder back, which will help a little bit. And then you're gonna get John Horse making some moves. And John Horse will figure out a way to fix that bench. I don't know what he's gonna do. I don't know if it'll actually work, but he's gonna certainly try. Um, so I'm not, I don't think John Horse is gonna sit on his ass. Let's just, let's just put it that way, right? So. I, I think that that will that'll help, right? And and I, I hope that that sort of you know starts sort of the the turn of, of everything. They so yeah, rough night for the Bucks tonight. Really, you know, falls on the bench, falls on Dame Lillard. Uh, you know, they they had an eighty to sixty seven lead. Giannis goes out, and I think they ended the game. You know, down fifty five to thirty three. It was just they did not have anything left in that fourth quarter. Uh, I it was really sort of frustrating considering. You know, they've now lost four out, three out of four to Indiana. Um, Indiana has seemingly had their number. Now you can point out that that first game didn't have Dame. They probably don't lose that game without Dame. And then they, you know, lose, you know, in the in-season tournament. And then the Bucks bounce back. And then in this one, the Pacers, you know, outlast them really because of the bench performance uh, that the Bucks were able to show. They also got into a lot of foul trouble. Uh, they The free throw discrepancy was 12 to Indiana's. Uh, which I, I, you saw that more early on, kind of kept Indiana in this basketball game. I'm not exactly blaming the refs. I'm just saying they, they just not seem 
to vibe with what the Bucks were doing defensively. And maybe that's, you know, the pressure defense, you know, against a team like Indiana that's very fast. They're going to pick up more fouls. But, yeah, it, that that all sort of sort of didn't go right. And, yeah, Damian Lillard, you know, a lot of divorce energy dad, Dame, where it did not – he continues to struggle in these games right after holidays, right after big drinking days. That – it's a weird thing that continues to happen. Uh, three for 16 – uh, from the field, one of nine from three, uh, just an ugly ass game uh, for Damian Lillard, and you know, hope that it's better on Wednesday uh, for the Bucks point guard. Uh, he was good. He was good on Friday night. Like he had thirty one on Friday. So it's like you you just try to remember that you know there, there there's highs and there's lows. Um, and point out by uh, Nate Marzan that you know Steph Curry even in like the season he had where he was MVP, he had a couple. He had, I think three or four where he shot 25% or less. And it's just, I think it's part of a shooter. You're not going to yeah, have the consistency that we see out of Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I think we are spoiled. And because Giannis has never really has bad nights, um, we're we're kind of, you know, immune to like star players having bad performances. So yeah, I, I'm not freaked out too much, but yeah, the, the DDD, DDE Dame, you know, has showed its face again. Uh, and the, we mentioned the follow uh, One thing that uh, is worth noting about Friday night's game and and today's game, the Bucks have held their last two games. You know, they've teams have only shot ten, made ten threes against them. Something to kind of keep an eye on when you play Boston next week, right? And Boston wants to shoot fifty threes, and they are basically preventing them from even happening. Um, so it, it's it's really uh, interesting nugget to see if that continues. If that's just and the Bucks didn't really hit many threes either tonight. They only had 10 threes made. Obviously, when Dame only makes one, that, that makes a difference. When Bees is in foul trouble, there there are reasons for that. And we already talked about it at the bench. So yeah, that's that's all part of that equation. But yeah, it's it's something to keep it keep an eye on. And then lastly, you know, the third quarter in Cleveland was amazing. Uh, you know, the Bucks were down early. Um, and it looked like it was just they were kind of going to wave the white flag. It was, you know, we've seen a lot of those in, you know, on the road with Budenholzer in the past. And the Bucks are like, hell on, we ain't losing this game. And they were awesome that third quarter and just overwhelmed Cleveland, kind of retook control of that game and were able to close it out. And I, honestly, like, if I, I was thinking about this and it's kind of cope, but it's like I would expect them to lose that Cleveland game and then win tonight. And, you know, because it's like, oh, you're at home, you've played so well at home. Um, and the inverse happened. And so I'm, I'm kind of not that upset about what transpired. I'll be upset if they lose on Wednesday. I'll tell you that much, though. And I don't want to lose four out of five to Indiana. Because then you have to, you kind of have to have the discussion if they have an Indiana problem or not. Which I didn't think they did, you know. And again, our guy Shaken, man, he was fucking Nostradamus, man. He's just, a bunch of predictions of his came true in our pod we did a couple weeks ago. And he's been very on the Indiana's actually a problem. So I don't know. Uh, in terms of what they have upcoming... Uh, they, as we mentioned, go to Indiana Wednesday. We'll tape right after that. Then they're in San Antonio on Thursday. Uh, maybe we're first Wemby Giannis uh, matchup. We'll have to see. And then on Saturday, uh, the Bucks are in Houston and in H-Town. Houston has been a different team at home. So that will be a tough one for the Bucks um, before they head back to play the Jazz on Monday. So we'll see. We'll see what happens you know, there. And yeah, that'll, that'll do it for today. Um, we will be back tomorrow um, solo with me. And then uh, we'll be back for with Mitch uh, on Thursday show. So stay tuned for that. I know I said I was going to talk about the bowl season. 
I ran out of time. It's late for me. Um, and I just, yeah, we'll talk about it tomorrow. That's, so that you'll will uh, that gets pushed tomorrow. So stay tuned. If you missed, if you wanted to hear that, we'll certainly talk about it tomorrow. So so stay tuned there. All right, take care, guys. Oh, I should mention. I it's like I want to talk about bull season macroly, but the semifinals were amazing tonight. Um, just two amazing football games. Uh, it's why I love college football, and uh, I I don't understand people who don't at least. Keep an eye on it. Like, I understand if you don't want to be a diehard. I understand if you don't need to watch every game. But, like, and people complaining about the schedule, like, fuck off. Like, it's it's just, you're just mad because it's a Monday night and you got to go to work tomorrow. Like, that's, like, the, us night owls have been through this for a long time. Like, we're we're in the shit. But, yeah, those are two great games. All right, now I'm, now I'm really leaving. Okay, bye.